Welcome back once again, folks, to How You Live In, live from Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, what's up? It's Thursday again, it's back with Mikkel. Boom, I'm back, folks, that's right. I'm here, keeping it off my wave, live from Soundgarden, kicking it off. Yeah. Rest in peace to Seattle native uh, Chris Cornell for... uh, Legacy of a career for 30 years. Hell fucking yeah. And uh, and after now, we'll uh, continue to enjoy. So I thought I'd uh, ring us in with that since we've had a little bit of a hiatus, the two of us. Yeah, no, it's been a while. Caught you uh, a little solo ep there. Listen to it. That was, uh, you did a solid hour, man. Yeah. That's tough sometimes for the two of us. So right. <laughs> I was impressed. You had a lot on your mind, though. We had that week off and before, so. Yeah, there was a lot I wanted to say. That I finally got out there. I was like, this is my outlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it worked out. Um, uh, so, uh, Chaz, the, uh, the normal question of the day, how are you living, man? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Memorial Day is about to uh, happen. We got a whirlwind weekend of partying and karaoke and hot tubbing. So yeah, we're here in uh, the middle of May now, heading into the late May, and right. uh, and uh, yeah, we've got we've got folk life here in Seattle. Oh yeah, is, is this weekend, which is like a free festival down music festival, art festival mm-hmm. around the uh, Space Needle and the surrounding uh seattle center area and uh and we've got this beautiful weather right oh my god it's been so nice it's ridiculous right now so that that is always a pleasure here in seattle right when we get to take advantage of uh of nicer weather and uh and i guess you know moving on since uh, it's been a while uh we do have the original segment and it is time to do hopefully <laughs> callbacks um i have a theme song but you know the callbacks oh. callbacks the new thing to- callbacks <laughs> there we go callbacks yeah <laughs> there we go so there we go um i that's right i paused it after the chris cornell so uh, callbacks, man. What do you got, um, kind of roaming in your mind from our previous <coughs> episodes or conversations? Um, Top- from topics that have moved forward. Or from the solo episode, <laughs> I said I would look into if uh, Trump's travel, not travel ban, um, hiring freeze was still in effect, but apparently that was lifted back in the middle of April. So. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So maybe when they start filling up those roles, because I remember I was listening to an episode of. Uh, boxes in the weeds and they were talking about how a lot of the government agencies are so totally understaffed that basically is at like a standstill right um and definitely they were talking about some things from rex tillerson from the justice department i think it is or no no he's not from the justice department i think the department of defense and there just weren't a lot of people in there to do things that they needed them to do so they're just like yeah uh it's it's yeah it's it, we have we've i mean we've gone through um a very tumultuous couple weeks with the trump administration as far as mm-hmm. like uh administratively uh the firing of flynn was you know followed by the firing of comey which has right. now been you know the restructuring since then as far as like trying to get the new nominee hired for the fbi job mm-hmm. and uh and kind of seeing a little more um, the strength of the executive branch. Oh, yeah. Through hirings and firings. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's an unkind of checked. I mean, I guess there's some confirmation, but to the most part, you know, people get hired. Yeah, see, yeah. I think we've mentioned before that it's only because Congress is allowing it. At this point, yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, it is uh, majority Republican, so. Yeah, I mean, they've just... I know they've been putting up with Trump shit because, you know, it, they want their shit to go through. So I understand that. But and I'm still waiting for their point where um, what is going to be the straw that breaks the GOP's back That is, is basically what I'm waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, outside of that, on the callbacks, um, I guess I'll just call back to the idea of staying active. Uh, learn your neighbor's names. Now that it's nice out, you know, and you're mowing, if you see your neighbor working on their yard, say hello. 
um, let's help kind of create bigger, stronger communities once again, solve these problems we have in our in our cities from uh, from within. And uh, that's my callback to kind of focuses I've had about community relations when I've uh, done this show. Oh, yeah. To piggyback on that, um, I did. We did miss the recording last week because Thursday I was at an Ignite talk. And, All right. Okay. And, and one of the Ignite talks was about building uh, more of these... I forget the name of the type of community, but the vibe of it is that you all collectively get a big space that you invest in together, and then you just create it to be eco-friendly, have a nice area for everyone to play. Like It is a small community within each other, and you all like help out with each other. I guess it's a co-op of sorts, but a co-op on a larger scale. Right. And <clears throat> Because I think they do it over in um, Denmark or Finland. And it works out pretty well for there. And so they were thinking about, and that was a good presentation, uh, given all like the housing issues that Seattle is having right now. Maybe there's some way to rectify it with more community-driven efforts. Yeah, I don't really see <coughs> the uh, the tiny house homeless neighborhood thing being a really long-term solution. Um, they put one in right over here on 87th Street. And uh, it's 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 got a curfew. There's only eight homes in the in the facility. Um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, solution to a dilemma, but it's definitely not really a long term one. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely kind of where Seattle seems to be putting its money is in the idea of building these little micro house districts. I think if they're gonna do that, they might as well like. There's all these apartments opening up. And they're small. They should just start by filling those with homeless people? Maybe. maybe, maybe, That would be one thing. But just like using public funds to build something of that sort. Just small dormitory-like settings where there's community showers and community eating spaces. And then you have your own room that you can keep to yourself with your own bathroom. Yeah, the city's uh, running into problems with, uh, you know, affordable housing mm-hmm. being actually legitimately affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think its kind of solution at this point is, like, well, you can move to the suburbs. You know, like, you can move to Shoreline. You can move to Linwood. Like, right? That's what people have been doing. And, I mean, we both live in rooms, so. Yeah, shared, yeah, shared spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've taken on the uh you know you you lose some some of your own personal freedom i guess to to have a shared space but but you're more centrally located than if we lived in linwood or whatever exactly that's a trade-off and i'm okay with that trade-off personally yeah yeah no i'm invested in the trade-off as well well uh i guess that's uh it for callbacks uh officially in episode 21 I got it right this time. Oh, shit, 21. Episode 20 was yours. Do-do-do. How you living can officially drink now. Yeah. And smoke weed in about five states. Uh, oh, Massachusetts. What did they do? They legalized. I think then they legalized it um, back in November. For, uh, must have been medical, right? No. You think they went? I don't think they went recreational. They're a little too conservative of a state. Uh, in my mind, to have gone full recreational, but uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot entering the fray soon. California mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a new economy, new way to make money for states, uh, taxable income, and uh, it uh, it's already a popular industry, and so you kind of have to go with it. Uh, it's funny that it's not really supported by some Republicans because Republicans are always about small businesses. And a lot of these right. like, cannabis-based startup companies start small, like family-owned. Right, totally. Small enterprises and stuff. So We, we got to come up with business ideas to get in on this because we're at the epicenter. <laughs> I always feel like it's too late. I've, no, always, I've, always, I've always been in like the moment just before or, or just after it's like it's hot, like with a technology and stuff like thinking of like the ipod and things like that i came up with things like that and it was like oh to get it to market it's gonna take me two years and like ipods are like popular as hell already so yeah no i think we can uh market to people who like it and just do something maybe like concierge style or you know there i mean there's different markets within markets and if it becomes legal across the states then food places that allow you to smoke 
You like, are you are correct, sir. Yeah. The Massachusetts broadly voted to legalize, so they're they're now trying to deal with that within the state house. Interesting. Um yeah, no, it's uh it's a changing demographic <coughs> of people. I yeah. Mean, it's so far it's the coasts mostly. But uh yeah. It, it'll it'll move inward. It'll move inward. You'll get like an Idaho or I mean it already has Colorado, I guess, but they they've always been kind of an outlier state. Colorado is like Oregon except for without a coast. Yeah. You know, it's very similar style people. Like I meet a lot of transfers between the two. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Seattle and like Alaska. Okay, yeah. You get a lot of people who are like, oh, I used to work in Alaska. Like, that's a common thing you hear around here. Yeah, I know a few of my friends are Alaska natives, natives that move down here. Yeah, in, in, in Oregon, there's a lot of people who you'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I lived and worked in Colorado for a while. Like, oh, okay. Because it's, like, okay. it's like, the oh, you can work in the outdoors industry, fishing. You can work in the... Uh, snow related recreational jobs you can work in desert and ranching and all that which are things they do in eastern oregon eastern colorado okay okay that makes sense yeah there's a lot of kind of similarities i was remembering um nebraska started to get angry at colorado um (laughs) because nebraskans would go to colorado and get weed and then bring it across state lines yeah and colorado's like that's just because you ain't cool nebraska right like you just like i'm telling you i think I mean, I and I could be wrong, but I think you would at least find one weed smoker in all fifty states. Oh but, yeah, yeah, right. Like no, they, I mean they know that. I mean, there's people serving time for marijuana in all fifty states. Right, so. exactly. So so clearly, people are growing it everywhere, man. Right, and you know, when you yeah, why hasn't someone just gone to is like yo, you want tax money? You want tax money without taxing the rich? Yeah, legalize weed. That's it. Well, yeah, That's it's a level, it. it's a level economy. Well, uh, what else do we have going on post uh, episode twenty-one here? Oh uh, goodness, there is a. Um, uh, let me see. I guess if you wanted to, we can move into the state of America. Let me stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm yeah. Sorry. I uh, I watched a um. A bit of that Oliver Stone documentary series on uh, on Netflix, The Untold History of America or whatever. Oh, okay. And I mean, like, there's two people that are definitely probably clamoring who are like, oh, it's bullshit, or Oliver Stone has an f- opinion that he's portraying. Mm-hmm. But um, that being said, there's a lot of information that's cast in that that's, like, just strictly from the numbers point of view of, like, what was going on at the time. And kind of looking at the world today and looking at the emerging technologically advanced Russia post-World War II. Oh, yeah. Is an engaging kind of conversation about how America plays its coins and how Russia plays its coins and how it's been almost it's been 100 years almost. And yet we kind of still play our chips the same way, you know, like we still um we still try to use like this, oh, we're slightly edging you technologically. So, or we have faster ships that are more capable with more airplanes and more nuclear and more. And like, we're just trying to be like quicker to be in your sphere. Mm -hmm. We can enter your sphere faster than anybody. And then the Russians play with the, uh, don't count us out. You don't know us. You don't know how hard we work. You don't know what we're doing. You don't know who I know. You fuck you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's true. You know, and so even back then, that's how Stalin treated us, and that's how there was a proxy war over Korea, mm-hmm. pretty much between the superpowers of Russia and America. You know, with some intervention from China as well, but mostly in like the air, for instance, it was a Russian-American air war. Yeah, that's true. And um, and that was jets, jet fighters. So that was like the highest edge of technology. And the two opposing superpowers were rushed, but we couldn't officially just fight. So we were fighting as this mm-hmm. battle for Korea, you know. And so that's kind of the other way of like these pro- the way proxy wars occur. Oh yeah, the proxy war right now is Syria. Oh yeah, shit. You know, we bombed uh. Syrian warplanes where uh, at a spot where Russian airplanes were taking off from, and like, you know, that was the one Trump action during the Syrian conflict. So um, that's a proxy war. There's 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 a split um, 
power structure amongst uh, interested parties as well as the actual state itself. Oh, okay. And and then when when you create you create a weird dilemma in specifically Syria when you have the contingent that Russia is pretty much aligned as far as with the former state. Mm-hmm. So they're on the Bashar uh, Assad side, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I just watched a little bit. Of that. I don't I don't want to give too much credence to the documentary itself, and more so just to people looking back to that era mm-hmm. and the power at play post World War Two mm-hmm. and the the structure of power and why those entities did what they did, and then look at what Russia's doing with their power grabs in Crimea mm-hmm. and and soon probably crackdowns in Chechnya mm-hmm. um, to to kind of go at their their war against terrorism plus their um, secret dealings with iran Mm. is going to help give them maybe some sway with their country and then as well as their assistance to bashad um assad if he if he ends up uh bashir assad if he ends up taking back over control of the country country russia then comes out good Mm. so yeah it's uh it's interesting how history does repeat itself you know yeah for sure and uh and we need to take a lesson and, and 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 it's interesting that Trump's the one in office because Trump's very much like like a Truman or like a uh you know uh yeah like a, kind of the the Winston Churchill without all the glory but mm-hmm. the, the the moxie when Winston was going through the war years later on he lived a very long life so he kind of had this latter years where he became more of like this philosophical statesman who was like oh we, we pushed the world to the brink when we created the bomb you know like yeah things like that he, he was kind of not he was having qualms with the power they, they yielded but at the time um in support of britain saving its own soul you know he was a very like kind of hot-headed quick to act guy mm-hmm. and then truman once he got power after FDR died, he was kind of the same way. He was like, we need to kill as many of the enemy to stop them from continuing war. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Oh, we have this bomb. And that's why, even though at the time, Japan was kind of already leaning towards a possible surrender, you know, and uh, instead we dropped two nuclear weapons, the only two that have ever been used. Yeah. You know. So so it's interesting now now that we're here and we're in 2017 and we have this this Russian powerful country working in foreign governments where we have troops working in foreign governments where we don't have troops mm-hmm. i.e. Syria working as a security council member with us in the UN and at the same time now having some weird trade off with our current leader you know, it's kind of it's like either Trump's going to be the guy who wants to push the button and might push the world to war or he's this weird backdoor dealing guy who's like signing papers we don't even know about that are like I really hope it's the latter. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, uh there's been a few Republican presidents that have started wars in order to get reelected. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's 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 kind of a sweeping statement to make, but like there's see, a lot of wars that start in the third year of Republican presidencies. Like, well, George Bush kind of uh, had 9-11 thrusted on him. Right, which was in his first year. Yeah. So his response to go to Iraq was in his third. But it's, I mean. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's all, it's all, whatever, you know. <laughs> it's 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 like, at this point, the ball's rolling. Fate is in the hands of those leaders. Yeah. Like that weird golden orb he was holding when he visited uh uh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, and, and did you hear about how he tore um, the NATO, NATO to pieces? He was all like, "They're not doing their job. They're not putting their fair share in for defense, right? And we want them to put in their fair share for defense." And I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually hear that, but uh, um, I haven't watched it yet. But I've read articles where, oh, okay, yeah, it's it. Well, that's the the thing right now is like you know he went to. Jerusalem and then he went to Saudi Arabia like like I don't know like what is he what is he really trying to do you know that's his first state visit you know that's it's an interesting statement 
I don't know what it really means. Is it a positive statement because he's going to these Arab nations after he created that Muslim ban? Is it a negative statement because he's basically just like, is he just flying through there to kind of check them off a list so he can ignore them later? Or is this something more important that we don't know that's at play that, that he's up to? Because, you know, your first foreign visit is, you know. Yeah, I don't... I, I honestly don't It's an interesting know. choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean I mean, obviously Saudi Arabia is in that neighborhood where there's you know, there's a lot going on in the the, the crisis with the um massive exodus of people, you know. I mean I guess that's a good place to start, but yeah. It's uh it's it's interesting. I wonder how he's gonna end up dealing with foreign leaders that take control of countries now that are actually more on the liberal side because mm. we just had that election in France and you know it didn't it didn't go Le Pen's way yeah so we actually did goodness yeah <laughs> we actually ended up with a liberal victory in France and uh, and that's kind of puts a little pause to the full Brexit like England still leaves yeah. But the the like EU is going to dissolve because England's going to leave is not what's going to happen. Basically the EU is going to kind of like strengthen its its kind of core numbers that it has. Mhm. Figure out which economies are ballooning out of control like Greece and need to be put on like a probationary status where it's like get your fucking shit together. We're not going to keep bailing you out. We can't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, fuck you. Like, <laughs> like we're we're a world economy, you know, and uh, and get their numbers together, and then basically have trading tariffs and partnerships with England because England is gonna come knocking mm -hmm. once England settles whatever the fuck it's trying to do as a nationalist move. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because yeah, they have a lot of trade with us, but fuck mainland Europe has to be over half their trade, if not like 75% oh. of their trade. Oh well, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a strong number. You know, so they're definitely going to have to to work those contracts out now. And as not being a member state, they get way more complicated. They mm -hmm. have to actually negotiate with each individual member state mm -hmm. as opposed to making like EU concessions where, you know, jeans only get taxed 10% in the EU pass boom and then that's the cost of jeans mm -hmm. you know whereas like belgium can be like you can buy our jeans it's 44 percent <laughs> you know and it's like what and sorry if that's like an offensive act i don't even know why i tried to do that accent. sounded eastern european dude i'm terrible at, I'm, terrible <laughs> at accents. I'm the opposite of a master of it accents. sound like you wanted to come from bucharest <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you i'm here from nicaragua you know it's like nicaragua <laughs> <laughs> right 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 <laughs> Very much so working from Oh my god. Is that like a bad it's a bad character, the person that doesn't know what offensive <laughs> that, that is. Oh my god. That would Look oh. at me, I'm from Germany. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone did that before. <laughs> is that a thing? Oh, oh I didn't my know. God. Uh -huh -huh. This is me, just a regular Canadian guy. I guess you have French Canadians. So you do, be. you do. That uh, that sounds almost, almost, almost. That almost worked. And then it got a little weird at the end too. Uh, right. <laughs> like, like when he was the wild and crazy. Uh, and like going, boom, buck, man. How you doing? And this is me, the Iranian man. <laughs> <laughs> but fresh from Persia, you know, man. Yeah, but but <laughs> living in Tehran, man. <laughs> is like chip chip top to the morning to you this is your body like, from tibet it's like the worst bit ever because it's just <laughs> offensive like across the board like i'm killing that bit officially oh my god no don't uh, kill it because i want to i want to talk about something later that will be a hilarious juxtaposition the so how you living podcast strictly prohibits all commentary being associated with the how you living brand wait we are the how you living brand what the fuck is he saying yeah <laughs> i guess we we expressly condone everything we say then yes uh, yes we do it's hot fire <laughs> yo man mm -mm. i believe in Tehran. <laughs> 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 it's too good oh my god oh man oh god that's too good i'll give it i'll just r write it in a tweet to kevin hart and see if it's on his next special you know he's like it's got to take someone like that to do it yeah 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 you could do it yeah 
I can't do it. He got voices. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm from Turan. <laughs> so like me, like, like doing Aziz. Aziz. It's like Aziz <laughs> and Kevin Hart. Oh my god. <laughs> he does have that nasal. Like every yeah. time, I, I swear, every five months or so, there's always some person who comes up to me and says, you know, you sound like Aziz Ansari. Oh. And, and and it's usually my quiz voice that they think is Aziz Ansari, right? You know, yeah. When I'm like, "Hey guys, welcome to Geeks Dream Pop Quiz. We can quiz on all the things." Hi, and so they're just like, and then the listeners be like, "Oh my god, that was Aziz Ansari," and I'm like, "No, it wasn't." No, <laughs> so yeah, that's so funny. Shout out to Aziz though, Master Nun season two available on Netflix. Oh, I still need to check that out. Hot also, fire, only non-droppable thing that won't spoil it. First episode all in black and white what? legit it's tight watch it it's artistic it's cool um and there's even a moment in one of the episodes that goes silent for several minutes and uh it's it's an interesting journey it's an artistic what? interesting journey to be okay. completely silent watching television you know, and and yeah. So, uh, shout out to Aziz, doing, yeah. doing some artistic takes on his uh, Master of None show. Also, if you haven't uh, read his book Modern Romance, do I've it. I've heard good things. Yeah. It is really good. It is a, it is like a most thorough look in, of love and relationships from uh, the post and current Tinder era, basically. Yeah, yeah, and from around the world and other cultures too. Right. Yeah. No, I'll have to check it out. He definitely is applying some of that to the kind of stylings of these shows, mm-hmm. like even if you've seen the first season. Oh, yeah. Um, just the kind of love interests and the way. That was like purely his book. That's he, why I think I liked yeah. season one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been, dude, season two was definitely more of an expansion artistically for him and writing kind of uh, more specifically for, for these ideas he's having, I think. Ooh, Whereas okay. the first season is probably like, two or three years of him just kind of spitballing an idea you know and then and you put that out and then all of a sudden you have to follow it up within a year right so um but yeah moving on uh did you have any specifics in the in the uh this week in america about like bill watches or anything for the uh the people to know um uh, so there is and there was one interesting thing um, the head of the GOP Freedom Caucus. Okay. Um, who was really big? He's been like a hawk on. We're not going to change a thing until we uh, get pre-existing conditions in there. But then he found out the CBO score today. Um, of the new, quote unquote, improved uh, American Healthcare Act. Okay. And he is having buyer's remorse like a motherfucker. Like, he broke down and was just like, you know, his family members, paraphrasing, his family members have had pre-existing conditions. His family members have died because of these pre-existing conditions. Uh, and if nobody was able to get treatment because of them, that would just be heartbreaking for him. So I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate his his candor and his sadness. But now, hopefully, the Senate will just be like, no, this is a bad idea. Let's come up with something better. And maybe... See, I always... Like, every time I want to talk about bills, the thing that comes in my head is, I want there to be bipartisan support, finally. But I don't see that happening here. Yeah. But I guess we can, like, kind of roll that into... uh, There's some... There's still a bit of special elections going on around because senators and... uh, House members got put into more permanent government roles. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And then they're going to get in committees and mm-hmm. special committees. And, and yeah. Yeah. It's, and I, I always suggest anybody um, go to your state capitol um, because it's remarkable how accessible um, the members are, or at least their staff. Um, when you go to your state capitol, because it's like people just aren't going there on like a Tuesday afternoon. And if you're in D.C., uh, go find your representative's office or your uh, congressional leader's offices. And uh, and the staff members there can give you tickets to the gallery and you can actually watch actual Congress proceedings in D.C. Um, but I suggest people to go do that in your in your local state houses and find out. 
um, just find out the people who are there that even if they were working at the information desk and that's the kind of your point of contact, just go find out what you can find out, find out what days they meet, find out what days that are open to the public, find out what days they have budget proposal meetings. Um, different states run on different calendars too. Some will be in session annually. Some will be in session biannually. Sometimes when they are biannual, there'll be like a two week session. That's like there anyway. You know, even though it's an off year, just to maybe pass a budget or to resolve any tax issues. Um, and, okay, yeah. And, you know, I've gone to those meetings and, like, they, you know, might just be an hour and a half long. But they're going to outline the billions of dollars that your state's going to spend that year and how they're going to be allocated. And knowing that will help you see where your state's money's going and kind of understand how you can help curtail and create change. When you can see... Um, oversight committees ignoring corruption or construction costs ballooning for large projects or oh, okay. um, certain companies always getting bids despite lower bids being offered from reputable sources and things like that you can hold them to the fire you know and it's basically the way they get away with it is because no one takes the time to to look at it yeah no and the people that do they write for um newspapers um if you've noticed the opinion papers editorials as well as local information and news takes up less information of any readable article and you would have to go to a website probably of like your local state capitals newspaper uh -huh. so like the olympia register or something here um would have proceedings and then you could actually find some of the calendar and dates going on on a more localized level. Outside of that, it's not worth the ad space to USA Today or to the Seattle Times. So, you know, their section will just be about things that they think will be buzz headlines. You know, so they'll talk about Metro Council and they'll talk about the city's mayor, mm -hmm. you know. But they're just like if you look at how they're organized, it's just a way to occupy part of the, the paper to create more ad space it's not about information delivery you know because if they really wanted information delivery there's plenty of information to give us but they don't want to print that because they can't make money off us reading that they only make money off us reading and then seeing an ad and then responding yeah no that totally makes sense so and and you know the web hasn't really fixed that because it's still ad driven so and, you know you can find these articles online sure and but and like look at the situation we're in now, you can't trust a single article online. It's really hard to even like give a certain reputable site the all clear, you know, because they all use buzz headlines, where a lot of the follow through article doesn't really f feed into what the headline alludes. Um, yeah, that's because they're um, that's because the person who wrote the article doesn't always title it. Right. And well, and the companies need clickbait. Yeah, it's, it's a it's truly a clickbait driven industry. Oh my god! And they admit it at all levels. It's just at the same time, <laughs> it's the way they feel they need to operate. I almost think like it's kind of the HuffPost effect, because the Huffington Post, um, you know, was an aggregator, and now became a billion dollar media empire. They didn't even have all their own content to start. They just re-aggregated other content. And put it in a useful way that people could digest it. And then they charge people for that. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing I'm saying now. Mm -hmm. Someone could create a, a local political aggregator. But, you know, that person would have to be smart and be taking time out of their day not earning to create that, you know. And that's true. And, and there's, there's uh, you know, there's some engineers out there, out there that, that do, do that. that. Yeah. So, that's that's, you know a usefulness of uh of their time well um i but guess here is some um, kind of sort of breaking news anyway if you've been following the u.s house special elections in montana and if you would wanted the democrat to win i'm sad to say that he did not and it looks like 43.8% to 50.4% going to Greg Gianforter of the Republican Party. But I was going to bring him up, actually, because he was in the news recently because he assaulted a reporter from The Guardian when he was, quote-unquote, aggressively asking him questions. There was a recording of it, 
Um, you could say it's kind of uh, aggressive. Maybe, actually, maybe I should just pull it out. Just pull it out. Yeah. Well, and so then that person, um, they now go on to the uh, Congress, so they're going to represent in the House, mm-hmm. essentially what that was. And that's like the only seat that Montana has. So, because oh. their population density is so low. Oh, wow. So they have one. Wow. They have one, and then they have uh, two. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and they have like two Senate members. Well, of yeah, course. yeah, they of course have two Senate members. Um,. Yeah, man, it's uh, yeah, the elections in each state. Every every state matters, you know. And uh, up until this last election, I always kind of was always pro just the local and state environment as far as like where to put your energies um, towards creating change. Pretty much go to your state legislature and find out what they're doing because your connection to what's actually going to be changing in your state is going to be a lot more likely than dealing with the feds. Mm. And uh, but now, given kind of the Trump environment, just I found that the uh, the the um, the executive branch is really important, and we need to kind of keep that in mind as we're uh, as we're working towards getting the people we want in charge. <laughs> you have a clip here, okay? What is this? Yeah, this is uh. Oh, the that reporter body slamming. <laughs> yep, and here's full audio, y'all. As you know, you were waiting to make your decision about healthcare until you saw the bill, and it just came out. And yeah, we'll talk to you about that later. Yeah, but there's not going to be time. I'm just curious if okay, you have to speak with right Shane, now. please. Sick and tired of you guys. The last Jesus time you came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Jesus. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. You, the last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Get the hell out of here. You'd like me to get the hot up here, I'd also like to call the police. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Can I get you guys his name? Well, all right. So, yeah. So they, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, that is that is some controversy for that guy. And now he's going to be a Republican House member. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of people calling in to, like, Rush Limbaugh and stuff, and they're like, yeah, no, we're sick of this liberal media being up in here trying to ask us questions. I would have body slammed him, too. I want that man to represent me because he does represent me. So I was like, fuck. Yeah. I wouldn't hear my country voice again. I'm sorry, people. You're never you're never going to win. <laughs> All right. Well, to uh, to lighten it up today, I was thinking since uh, we are on the eve of the Folk Life Festival oh, here shit. in Seattle, let's talk a little bit about cities, festivals, and celebrations, music festivals, types. What uh, what kind of city celebrations do you enjoy, including your current city here in Seattle? What is, what is Philly? Does Philly have any famous fests? So uh, I'm trying to think of like festivals. There is there is a Greek weekend in Philadelphia okay. where basically um, all the Greek fraternities at the local colleges, because there's a lot of local colleges, um, uh, they will basically take over Fairmount Park. And it'll be like cookouts, dancing, lawn games, uh, uh, you know, just and and basically it's just everyone having a good time, getting drunk, and like dudes trying to get numbers, uh, just you know everybody trying to hook up and whatever, like All you right. know. <laughs> well, uh, a good one uh, I know about in Portland is every Fourth of July weekend. Oh, annually they have Blues Fest. What? And the way it works is it's a suggested donation of $10 or a few cans of food or both. So legitimately, you can get in for free. And That's just $10. I'm paying $10. Yeah, well, it goes to the Oregon Food Bank. And uh, it has like three different stages. They get all the world-class uh, blues artists as well as local regional blues artists. And what? they do blues workshops. There's like... A whole section of area that sells you know different like clothing as well as musical equipment and stuff that you can get if you're interested in actually pursuing blues for yourself wow and my mind is blown right now it's right along the waterfront and so basically a flotilla of boats is created in the harbor for the five days of the festival they raft themselves together and basically they ferry to and from using skiffs and so there'll be like 30 yachts 
chilling out there and people just with regular ass boats and so friends you always know somebody that has a boat and so you can spend one of the days out in the boat you can still see two of the main stages hear all the main music and you can tune into a radio station that follows the main stage the whole concert it's a local community radio station wow so shout out to summer festivals july in oregon portland oregon downtown waterfront blues fest shit and uh, Seattle's kind of answer to that is Folk Life Festival. That's true. It's uh, folk music, art. Um, it's also rock and roll. It's dance interpretation. It's uh, family gathering. There's food. Um, it's all throughout the Seattle Center. And then there's also kind of DIY people that have always been a part of it. So, like, people will do juggling and, like, comedy routines and rapping and um, different types of art and stuff that are just kind of setting up on the street in between the different venues and it's a free-for-all seattle festival the last weekend in may every year so shout out to seattle's folk life festival that's Um, right and then uh you know you have the uh annual coachella in in california which is that kind of quintessential internet music festival right coachella we're going to coachella i I had the worst time and then like kid michael mars set was so good but everything was terrible (laughs) like (laughs) like, it was water was nine (laughs) dollars you know what else is like that that's here in washington People go to the gorge. Oh, the gorge. Which one? The Sasquatch? Sasquatch. Yes. Oh, man. It's the same story, right? I'm like, yeah, why did I pay $240? To like, camp. Yeah. You camping. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I, I would go. I, I kind of so want to go I was next so year. hung over on the third day. I didn't even go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you always hear that. We drove back at two in the afternoon. <laughs> like Weezer was on stage. And I totally wanted to see them, but I was dead tired. Like yeah. someone at work is selling tickets for a hundred bucks. Well, now I could go. Well, and then get a ride. And Burning Man has basically become BurningMan.com. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're like auctioning up. Like, hey, do you want to hang out with the Facebook staff in their art car? They flew in with two helicopters, like, or they paid some like oh people God. to drive it in. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous. And then, of course. We can't have a 2017 podcast about festivals and not at least mention Fire Festival. Oh, shit. F-Y-R-E in our hearts, but forever, forever in our minds. <laughs> wow. Fire Festival Yo. brought to life by a partnership between a promotions company and Ja Rule. <laughs> Yo. Right? Yo. Like, first of all, he already lost Ashanti in the early 2000s. Why the fuck is he fucking with the Bahamas? After that, I don't even know. Maybe he thought he could put together a banging ass, like, festival, like, an island festival. Like, if he popped that off, like, everybody would want to go to that. Yeah, but from the get, like, as I was hearing about it, it was just like, what? And then it was like, yo, two people bought tickets for $150,000. And you're like, wait, what? Like, there was some stuff like that. People were, like, guaranteeing VIP access to, like, yachts and stuff while the music was playing. And, yeah, it was... It was an interesting sell from the get. It wasn't like, buy your $80 pass, come to Coachella, Bahamas. You know, it was like... Somebody needs to do that. Yeah, well, yeah, apparently they've got like $10 million of equipment that's being held by the Bahamian Customs because they didn't pay the uh, tariffs for Customs to bring it in. So it's $10 million equipment. The bill is at like 258000 and if they wash it, then the Bahamian government can legally auction off all that equipment. And it's $10 million equipment, So they and they only owe 258 So they're going to auction it for, like, a mil, you know? <laughs> Just be like, here's all this audio gear for this sweet-ass festival that didn't go down. But if you want to throw a sweet-ass festival Dude, for, a, so, uh, for a tenth yeah. the budget. We, we need to get some investors. We need to get some investors. Yo, that would be so funny <laughs> to be a touring festival using the Fire Festival failed oh, stage. Oh, my God. We could call ourselves Phoenix Festival. Phoenix, yeah. Because we rose from the ashes. And ah. we bring it up every show. We're like, <laughs> we are not officially affiliated with that other festival. And everyone's like, fire. And we're like, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's place we need towards, and then like we we bring Ja Rule like the third year we're doing it. We're oh finally, we finally make God. amends, 
him and DMX, just so people get confused. Right. You know, sometimes they're like, Yo, yes. which one barks like a dog again? Oh, that's DMX. <laughs> what you really want? What you really want? Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ja Rule was like, my baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you want, with my baby? <laughs> that's Shanti. Oh, uh, yeah. Shout out. Well, uh, so that's the festival combo. I mean, you know, festivals. <laughs> They're crazy. I guess. I mean, other than Burning Burning Man's kind of the quintessential. Like, what's the wildest festival that happens annually? Probably. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And then there's like some EDM ones and shit. Like those weird dance parties where they're like Sunflower Con '44. <laughs> it's like you hear about it like a week before, and you're like, how is two hundred thousand people flying to Vegas <laughs> at the same time? And you're like, yeah. There's a few of those. I I do. I would say. Um, uh, for those, if you guys want to visit Seattle and visit Seattle and it's really popping, come to the Solstice Festival. Happens right around uh, June twenty first, mm, summer solstice. Yeah. Okay. Summer solstice, June. Like it has a naked bike ride. If you don't like naked bike rides, that's fine. But basically, they have this one. Like one of the streets is blocked off, and it's kind of like its own farmers market. And they also have a bunch of live bands playing as well, too. But then if you know people, you, they'll know people who are having house parties. Oh, okay. And you can hop to house parties and house parties be lit. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good thing. And then also, if you're if you're bored and want to catch a game, go watch our Mariners. I know they kind of suck and they lose half the time, but Mariners games are cool during the go, summer. Go yeah. down there, grab the peanuts outdoors. You can bring them in. Like it's 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 a good time for the summer in Seattle. You know. Oh yeah. Go catch a Mariners game. You get yourself one of those afternoon games. Oh yeah. Get in there by one. Now you're downtown, a little tipsy at four in the afternoon. Dude, the world is your oyster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You want to ride the ferry just to get on the water for a minute? Do it. Dude, it's $8. The f- ferry is legit. Yeah. You just do it. Eat a hamburger on a boat. Yes. You can do that for $8 here in Seattle. You can be on a boat. You can order a hamburger. It costs you 8 bucks to get on the boat, and it'll bring you home for free. Right. If you go over to Bainbridge, you can take a shuttle over to the casino. There you go. Pop off at the casino for a little bit, then pop back home. If it's in like July, grab yourself some fireworks when you're over in that casino parking lot. Boom, cause, boom. Because then reservations in Washington be hip with fireworks. <laughs> Yo, Oregon ain't got shit on Washington when it comes to fireworks. This place <laughs> has pyromania <laughs> in its veins. It's crazy. That is true. Yo, there's a spot called Boom City. Mm. It's part of the Tulalip Indian Reservation up by like Bellingham or something. Okay, okay. 215 some odd firework booths it's like an arts festival except for they're just selling fireworks yo you'll be buying you'll be like it'll be like you know jane's booth 255 and you're like oh hey jane's booth 255 and then like you all of a sudden hear behind you jane sucks she charges too much for a mate we don't have mateys uh firecrackers <laughs> and you'd be like, turn around, and it's like Dale's 128. Get over here. We're way cheaper. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, Jane. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. And then you walk over, and then like you find out what they got. And then if you play your cards right, you just go between all the spots. You find out kind of the prices of all the things. As and, you should do. And then you work against them. Like, yeah. Oh shit! That would be oh, that's my element. Someone take me! Someone take me! Yeah, yo. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but Freddie's twenty sevens doing tanks for a quarter a piece. Right. I don't know if I can spend the seventy fives, but if you brought that mortar price down to fifteen with the four shots it comes with, I might be able to do fifty cents on these tanks. <laughs> you know, and it's like next thing you know, you're walking with like an arsenal. But yeah. Yo, that's all my made out of paper. right there. Because if they start yelling at me, I'll be like, hold up. I would come on my list and I'll just be like, yeah. like, so how much are these? What do you got? Do, 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 do. And then like have like a whole spreadsheet. Oh, dude, yeah. Be like, and here's <laughs> here's the best part. Here's the best part. The, they try to get you with the kit. And the kit never worked. Because like, yo, they'll have like, this is a fountain kit. That's like four good fountains and like three shitty fountains. But you're paying for those three shitty fountains. Mm-hmm. You can just get two awesome fountains and some fountains last like 30 minutes and shit there's some fucking long displays and so if you get one of those shitty ones you total your package lighting them in concession you might have 12 minutes of Mm. display and then for the same price you could get 
a 30 minute display okay so then you add that so then when you do is you light that thing and as that thing's going off you're adding little ancillary things to kind of complement the big one that's just going on for a while okay yeah whereas they're trying to be like you should get our all-star <laughs> american package and it's like a red white and blue thing that's saran wrap all over all these like fountains oh gosh the trick is you they can they have every single one of those individually so they can just oh. build you what and then the reality is the biggest display you're going to get legally for a reasonable price is a mortar because it's an actual like shell so it's going to create the largest display you can legally get there's, okay. there's like single shot things where you can pay like a hundred dollars and it's like mounted to a piece of plywood and those are the things where like you're rivaling like the waterfront water like fireworks. Oh shit. You get like thirty of those and like your neighborhood will call you the next day. Oh. And be like, yo, you're the shit. Like what are you <laughs> doing on New Year's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Like local fireworks shows. That yeah. would be that would be great. Yeah, my dad my dad lived on an unincorporated uh street, so it was in King County, but it was unincorporated. So whenever there was a fire ban, it didn't apply to him because it would be like a city a Bellevue band or a city of Issaquah band and mm-hmm. he like was in between the two and so every year in July when it would get just a little too dry our street was the only street that could light fireworks and literally the neighborhood would come over oh and, and sometimes they'd bring theirs and like eventually after like the third year it, like over like a 10 year period where it was super dry they just stopped bringing them because my dad just buys way too many fireworks so mm-hmm. they're just like we, yours are better and you're just handing them to us so mm-hmm. i just got this box of like crappy fireworks <laughs> so it makes me feel bad you know so yeah they right. just come over and like my and my dad got a kick out of it he's like oh, i have the biggest fireworks display in the neighborhood <laughs> it's like yeah you kind of nice. do kind of do uh but yeah man uh we're kind of at the tail end here buddy um what what kind of uh, segments did you want to leave the uh, the listeners with to uh, to grow their brains and keep them focused on the, the oh, mission at I, hand? I had a slightly like more serious topic I wanted to talk about. Okay, All right. I I wanted to because uh, so speaking of your uh, well not hometown but you know like your second home Portland, then there was this scandal of sorts that was very weird. Uh, two ladies opened up a food truck that then turned into a pop up shop. Uh, where they were selling burritos, and it's called Kook's Burritos, like K-O-O-K. And uh, what ended up happening is they were being interviewed by a local paper, I think the Willamette, and they were saying, like, yeah, so how'd you guys get inspired by this? And they were like, yeah, we took an impromptu trip down to... Um, not Mexico. Yeah, down to Mexico, and yeah. they saw that they made banging as tortillas. So, um, and her poor broken, um, broken, no broken Spanish. Um, they asked them how, what were the ingredients, and how were they made. They were told the ingredients, but they wouldn't tell them much about the technique. So then she says it. Uh, they were peeking through windows, um, to see how they were made. And so basically that started an uproar of, uh, oh, this is cultural appropriation. Um, you, you can't be making the burritos. How are you going to take and steal something from them? And yeah, that's an interesting, that's a very Portland thing. Yeah, it looks like it just closed and yeah, that's it. That's it. It's called, it was called cooks with a K. Yeah. And it's done. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I guess in the sense that they they basically created the narrative that they they went on this trip to kind of steal these ideas or whatever is kind of weird, or that they were occupying some of their time on that trip to take some of these ideas. I guess that kind of created the fodder because I do have a problem with uh, culinary restrictions based on race. That's that's a weird thing to me. Like, yeah, because no, I, I, I agree I with that too. I feel like if I open a restaurant and I buy ingredients i can make whatever i want and so i really don't and that's that's something that it's really getting into that pc culture conversation where are we going too far yeah and i think with this one they did go too far because they didn't go down there specifically to steal the they went down there they said oh my god these tortillas are amazing how the fuck do i make these ourselves right and so they asked they gave them the ingredients like they told them what the ingredients were right and then down in mexico and that city 
they have big ass windows and you can see pretty clearly how they make them oh okay. so so it's not like like they say peaking and i know peaking makes you go like like if you see my hands are above my eyes right now and it looks like you're kind of like being covert because you said peaking yeah but then when you look at those big windows you're just like um so they they were just being cute i guess <laughs> and so yeah it's interesting, and I mean, I guess part of it is the basis that people make that it's appropriating a culture that's been put upon to yeah. some degree, because if you think about it, like, French cuisine is copied all over the world, mm -hmm. and is it the idea that French people as a whole, for the most part, are well off in the world versus... For instance, Mexicans dominant, or dominant Mexican cultures can't. So, so that's an interesting dynamic. You can't appropriate from dominant cultures, right? Right, and, and that's a weird double standard. But yeah, they are. Yeah, it's and interesting. So. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can. Yeah, comfort comfort levels. Um, I mean, I wore. I was a reggae DJ for a while, and I wore quite a bit of like Jamaican inspired clothing for a time period. And I know that that's like a very like awkward thing to say because a lot of people would be like oh that's of course it's annoying i've seen that before but it was like if you looked at the circles i was running in and kind of the diverse mix of people mm -hmm. like it was appreciated it was me showing solidarity with the kind of movement we were working with as opposed to being like afraid but it, it wasn't like i already was a soccer player and yeah. so basically i just used my love of puma and adidas mm -hmm. to occasionally get kind of like jamaican tricolor stuff so it wouldn't always be red green and gold sometimes it would be the black yellow and green and mm -hmm. then also um in general because at the time i was living in portland and the timbers were a big deal i just wore green in general sometimes and so i kind of just appropriated that style and uh but I didn't really appropriate from then because I had appropriated it from hip hop in the eighties and from the fact that Adidas makes soccer clothing and these are soccer warm ups. You know, I got yeah. I, I got assigned them at different teams at some point. I would get assigned uh, an Adidas warm up suit, you know, and then at another team I got assigned a Puma warm up suit, you know, and so you know I just kind of already wore that clothing. The fact that it's also associated with Jamaican music and with hip hop and all that, it's like that's it's separate. <laughs> you yeah know. yeah no you there's know. a lot of and that's that's interesting it's so that's basically why i wanted to talk about it because i feel like in this case it was really like a big big deal and i think it was blown out of proportion but i really wanted to know in this age of technology and uh, being able to experience things over the internet uh where is the line drawn between cultural appropriation and cultural diffusion and cultural diffusion is kind of just when, like, things from our obvious culture are passed over because cultures start to intersect a little bit more. Right. And usually, I guess I explain it, it's a level of immersion, and they also say it's, um, what's it called, permission. And mm. I think I think the way I would explain it best is to use uh, Iggy Azalea and Eminem as examples. Gotcha. That people would think Iggy Azalea is culturally appropriating rap culture, okay. where Eminem is in, was immersed in it and still is. So and he, was given the path. He was, yeah. Like, he, if you were going to say that that was African-American culture, yeah. there were African-American members of his rap group yeah. who at one point in time were equal in fame. Yeah. And so the fact, like you're saying, he's immersed, but he's also given respect they're saying we could kick him out if we didn't respect what he was doing artistically yeah exactly you know like if he was just dealing our style kind of like to some degree it, it gets a little weird because you know guys like snow mm -hmm. who who was from toronto and he tried to do this like jamaican inflection but he was a white rapper oh. you know and so and and i think he would argue that that he was there and immersed in the quality and that Toronto is a very diverse city and that its version of kind of Canadian, Afro-Canadian culture is different than African-American culture, specifically in Toronto. And I think you kind of see that maybe in the kind of era of Drake. Yeah, now. I was going to say, I agree with that because uh, statistically speaking, actually, to get all nerdy with numbers, um, when it came to Jamaicans who were immigrating to Canada, 61% of them moved to Toronto. Right. Okay. So they, they do have a, a big contingent of uh, um, a, a Canadian or Jamaican Canadian culture there. Right. Right. And then um, the other one was there's a producer of Illmatic. 
and I forget who he is, but he came on a John Oliver show to kind of finish, or no, he came on that cultural appropriation episode of Moshe Kasher's Problematic. Oh, okay. And he produced Nas's Illmatic, but he was a white rapper in the mid to early 80s. Oh, And shit. he had the beats down, so, and was on the New York scene. And was a really good producer. And so mm-hmm. when Nas came up with the kind of concept of what he wanted to do with Elmatic, he was a perfect partner. And so mm. a lot of people don't understand that one of the largest heralded rap albums of all time was actually produced by a white guy. Mm. Now, it was rapped on by Nas. Of course. You know, who's just, you know, fucking New York African-American through and through. Right. Like, don't throw down with him. He's got his city on his back kind mm-hmm. of guy. But clearly... With the knowledge of who he needed to work with, he made that selection, you know, mm-hmm. on purpose. And so, and Nas, kind of Nas, Talib Kweli, the most deaf, those type rappers, you know, the intellectual rappers, you mm-hmm. know, you can really look at the artistic moves they make as specific moves. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the major label artists you don't really know because it's like, eh, this artist, this label was giving me $20 million. Yeah, of and course. then once they gave me twenty million, I had to do what they say. Hey, you gave me twenty million though, you know. Right, but a lot of them, it's it's like eight bars, four beats. It's right, like, it's, it's, they get one good album. It's pop rap, but then right. it's like it was basically produced for them, and yeah, or and it's hip hop, I should yeah. say. Yeah, and then you're seeing like people that come and saw that system, and they're kind of now moving around it. Kendrick is basically an unsigned artist. I mean, I guess he's on, also on with like Dre's interscope and all that but i think to some degree he's kind of free yeah chance the rappers for surely independent mm-hmm. has not had a label and then um guys like migos coming oh, out of the yeah. trap scene in atlanta t- oh. taking over the billboard charts and now they just basically can can make their own way so like since we're on the top of, of uh, cultural appropriation migos just did a snl performance with uh, Katy perry and Katy Perry is uh, basically, and they're just like, oh, God, why are you letting this white girl be a Becky? Is basically what they're saying. Because she's just. Uh, like, she looks a little awkward on the stage. Like, she, she's having a fucking blast, right? But she's just like, uh, maybe I should. Have you, have you not seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. We can let them. Yeah, look it up if you haven't seen it, definitely. But for the most part, she has a little bit of an awkward demeanor i mean she's just like dancing i i I don't want to say she's dancing like a black person but i should say she's thinking she's it looks like she's dancing the way she thinks she ought to in this given the situation given who she's with yeah that's Uh, and then people are just like no you can't you can't you can't let this becky steal i'm you can't you can't me goes fine me goes me goes you can't do that no Oh, oh no. <laughs> Waylon is bringing through this to us. Waylon, like, that's been a reaction. Yeah. Well, man, uh, what do you uh, what do you suggest to the people on the way out? Do they have, uh, is there a specific thing coming up or anything? Uh, um, uh, I guess, and, well, we lost the Montana of- election, so we got to keep the eyes on the prize for Jeff Asasoff. And but there were like two um, other victories, one in in New Hampshire. And uh, I forget what the other one is. You know what? I'll remember that for the callback to see where the (laughs) let you know what the special election victories and losses are and all that jazz and uh, the grow your brain. uh, Check out the website or I believe it is. It should still be a website. Um, Everything is a remix. Uh I and yeah, and I would say go watch uh the last couple episodes of Frontline oh, PBS dot yeah. org. Find the Frontline. It's based out of WGBH in Boston. Uh, they've been producing documentaries thirty years, and uh, this very last one was titled Bannon's War. I need to watch that, and it was really intriguing about who Bannon is and what Breitbart was and why he's part of Breitbart and everything in between. Um, and it'll help uh, kind of give you a guise into the, the leadership roles of Trump and why Trump's picked them. And it doesn't really help you give a better uh, love for Bannon, I would say. It's definitely tinged on the, the going against him. But uh, it'll give you some uh, insight. And other than that, re-up your Netflix account. Check out Master of None. Check out uh, the live version of... Um, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll's Broadway show, Oh Hello. Ooh. They recorded one of the episodes of 
that and they're putting it on Netflix in June. So get your subscription going and watch that because it was only on Broadway for like eight weeks. So like eight different or like 16 different audiences, it's probably like twice a night for for eight weeks but uh yeah however many shows they did that was it and they all got to see it live and it was supposed to be hilarious and now they've recorded one and they're putting it on netflix so oh my god it's gonna be hilarious it's two characters you may remember them playing from the kroll show a few years ago where they did a fake reality show called too much tuna and they basically are these two kind of upper queens uh upper like manhattan uh kind of like older gentlemen who uh, invite you out to this deli. And then when you get to the deli, they have a sandwich brought out for you and they want to see your reaction. And when you look at it, it's literally like two full cans of tuna between two half slices of bread. (laughs) (laughs) And then when you look at it and you're like, whoa, and they're like, you can't do anything about it. It's too much tuna. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole show. (laughs) And it's a weird, strange kind of Nick Carollian bit, but it's pretty fucking funny. And somehow they wrote a Broadway show with those characters. So, oh, hello. Oh, hello. That's where that comes from. So, check that shit out. Follow me on Twitter, Seatown Mayor, because I'm your local municipality by the bay or the ocean. And uh, my boy, CRSII for Chaz. That's right. He's Chaz. He hit me with that bill watch. Listen, bill watch. And uh, with that, we out, folks. Peace. Peace. Like I do not know what permanent is They want me gone Wait for the kicker Bury me now and I only get bigger That's word of my nigga Yeah, October firm in the cut Stay at the top like I'm stuck That's just how I'm giving it up